Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Perspectives. You have Martina and Lucette. Um, and we are continuing our conversation uh, with, um, with uh, excuse me, I got, I got tongue tied. We are continuing our conversation with Sylvia um, around identity and the proximity to whiteness conversation. And if you have not watched the last video of part one of Sylvia's story and just listening to her talk about different, different uh, topics, please go back and watch that um, and then come back and and watch this one. Um, so where we're gonna, you know, just pick up, you know, we heard um, a lot of Sylvia's story in the first video and you even started to get into your different identities and how, you know, how you didn't wanna have certain identities and how that connected to that, to that proximity to whiteness. Uh, but, you know, one thing I, I really wanted to kind of pick your brain and ask a little bit more about, and it's something that I know I struggle with, uh, and Lisette, in a way, is that you mentioned about not letting people see you um, and how, you know, you wanted to maintain this, this certain level of professionalism uh, and how, you know, that's how you kind of lived your life, you know, for, for a little bit. You just didn't want to, you know, let let certain people in or, you know, and so to me, you know, I would, I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, and again, that's something that I definitely, I definitely struggle with. So I would, I love to hear more from you about that. Yeah, I, I think a couple things I, I'd say around that. It, it really was, you know, um, in organizing and community organizing, you start by doing a one-on-one -on -one with people. And really in that one-on-one -on -one meeting, there are certain, I don't know, there's guidelines, but you really want to get at the root of what motivates people, why they do what they do, what their belief system is. Because you think about that in terms of how you're going to build commonality and purpose for whatever uh, change people want to see. And I never went, you know, I made a conscious choice that I, I never went the community organizing route. That was a conscious choice for me because I believe that the data was important and sort of building on a little bit of what I was sharing last time somehow when I was on a protest march when I was in my teenage years I got this idea well protest marches are good but if you really want to and and do help to make a difference but you also have to know the data and the numbers and how many people are being impacted Right. And so it wasn't until my third job out of college that I discovered the field of public policy because I was working as an analyst in the governor's office, the governor for the state of Illinois, and realized that everyone around me had this degree in public policy but me. And again, public policy is a relatively new field 40 years ago. You know, I didn't know anyone who'd ever been to college, but when I understood what a degree in public policy was, I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's what I want, because that's how you create societal change. Mm. And having been an activist and raised by activist parents, I knew that that was sort of where my path and mission, I didn't know what it would look like, um, but I knew that it would be about how do we help to create the societal change. But even in that, in those early years, and you know, even well into my 40s, you know, I, you know, was privileged to work for predecessor organizations of the Latino Policy Forum. There was an organization called the Latino Institute. I worked for Notre Dame Institute for Latino Studies. So I was sitting at a lot of these tables, speaking with up in behalf with uh, the Latino community. 
in understanding what the Latino community's needs were and how do we get society, how do we get policy to respond to what some of those needs were. So I would be in some, you know, pretty meetings in the governor's office, meeting with a lot of other policy advocates. And I just, you know, now looking back, I just always, always had on my professional manner. You know, I, I, I never talked shop. I never talked, shared much about who I was. I didn't go to lunch with people. I didn't try to make friends with them because they weren't me, right? They were, even the other activists or advocates, they were white liberals, but their experience wasn't my experience. So I didn't even know, even though I was sitting at the table with them, I didn't know how to relate to them. You know, I'm talking to, you know, I mean, I was in Springfield in the early 1980s before we even had our first Latino elected in our General Assembly, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a long time ago, right? I would speak out on the issue that I was concerned about or the work that I was doing, but I always kept who I was closed, you know, and looking back on it, you know, I, I can see it now, right? That I, I didn't, I didn't make friends. I didn't let people know who I was. I didn't go to lunch with people. You know, I, I really kept that professional distance uh, for better or worse, right? Now, in some ways, keeping that professional distance sort of helped me in the sense that I realized that, um, you know, people didn't know my business. <laughs> you know, people didn't know my business and I didn't have to worry about that. But then you see how much of the world does revolve around relationships and people feel comfortable asking you out to lunch and you're going to lunch and you're sharing about your families. And it took me a long time to really feel comfortable doing that. And literally it's only been well into my forties where I think I finally began to unpack that and allow myself to be seen a little more. But even, you know, you know, people often say being the head of an organization, especially a nonprofit is one of the loneliest jobs you can have because you have no peer, you know? So now building and running the Latino policy forum all these years, you know, I'm collegial with all my staff, right? But I share a little bit more now than I certainly did when I started, you know, because that's been part of my process. They got to know me a little bit. I want to know them a little bit, but they'll never, I can't ha say that they'll ever be my friends, not that I don't like them, but because I'm, I'm in that seat, right? And I can't go and tell them, whoops, I'm worried about the budget, or I can't go tell them, you know, here's what I'm concerned about, because I had this idea that they had to see me as a strong leader so that they could feel safe and strong and secure, right? And that if I showed my weaknesses or if I showed my fears, then that would impact their sense of feeling vulnerable or more vulnerable in the organization that we're in. So I felt that I had to always show that I was in control, knew what I was doing, um, didn't let my emotions show, didn't let people know when my feelings were hurt, you know, that I, that I was, you know, this really smart, dedicated person who they didn't really know a whole lot about, you know, both my staff and publicly. And it's, as I said, I'm still unpacking it and still sharing a little bit more. But yeah, that, that, you know, my daughter says to me, I only have one daughter and she's like, mom, when do you have fun? 
Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. You know, my my mo is very is that serious professional, right? And I thought that's what I needed to be to be respected, to be credible. Um, I didn't know how to be different. Those are the examples that I saw. But that was really powerful, though, because I think a, a lot of us uh, who are uh, children of color or children of immigrants, I think we often we we want this stoic sort of appeal because we're like, well, you know, we don't want them to be too attached um, because, you know, they don't know us. We don't know them. And it's like, well, I don't want to let you in because I don't know how you're going to perceive me or, you know, or how I'm going to perceive you. And, you know, I, 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 I will definitely agree with you. That's still something that I'm working on myself. I mean, I've, uh, you know, and I'm one, um, as on here, Alyssa and I often say, like, both of us are very introverted. And, we, you know, mm. we always talk about, you know, how even though we are introverts, we do like having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, which is why I think, you know, why we decided to come on here and open up this platform and then we start to have um speakers mm -hmm. on because we do like having that one-on-one -on -one and and we and we do well uh, with that and so i know for me definitely a relationship building is still something that that i'm working on uh it is definitely a work in progress um but Lisette, feel free to jump in yeah no i think when uh you were talking sylvia it, it reminded me of sort of the the, the struggles and the conversations that Martina have had in the past about how, you know, it's hard to show up as your authentic self, uh, particularly in workplaces, uh, because in, in the places that I've been in, for the most part, you know, the majority are, are white, or, you know, my colleagues are white, um, and there's very few people of color uh, uh, around that I can maybe relate to or, or, or sort of have, you know, communications with and, you know, the team I'm on is probably the most uh, diverse uh, team and like sort of where I work at. Um, so I have that, but to, you know, like if I'm in the lunchroom, I, I really don't want to partake in conversations because I can't relate to a lot of the conversations that are going around me. Um, or I'm over here like, sometimes I'll listen to conversation, I'm like, that is the most shallow conversation I've ever heard. And it's like, it's just like, I can't even, you know, partake in that because it just does not resonate with me. It just doesn't hit that. And, and, and you know, I, you know, and, and people will be like, she's, just, you know, I've heard people say, like, you're very quiet, you know, you don't really, and I'm like, there, there's not, if I can't, really relate or if there's anything that I can't really just put into a conversation it's energy that I don't want to use into a conversation just for just for appearances sake um and I think we're brought up in this you know society that a really values an extrovert in society but also has this idea of how you should you know speak how you should interact uh what you should be doing and there's all these things of like what you should be doing and you know a lot of these things were made by white men these expectations and these things and it's like mm -hmm. that's not how i operate it's not how my family operates that's very completely different yeah so for me it was also you know and it's funny because i have let it go because i had to think about it although i know it's still there 
is I always needed to feel like I needed to feel strong and I could never feel like I could show my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, those were the two, wherever they came from, that was sort of how I operate in the world, right? I would never let people know my weaknesses or my vulnerabilities. I always felt like I had to show up strong and in command and like I knew what I was talking about, right? And, you know, how much of that is related to these leadership styles around white men leadership? And I, I don't know, but it's, it's sort of like what sort of got indoctrinated in me and then peeling back the layers around, around, well, I can show my vulnerabilities or I don't always have to be strong or I can ask for help. Oh my goodness, what a concept. I can ask for help. I don't have to do it alone. Right. And that's what I'm still learning. Right. I mean, in terms of how do you create a community that you're with so that you're all doing it together um, and you're not the only one. You're not, you're not the only one. Um, so someone told me once, yeah, Sylvia, it's like you don't have to be the lone tree in the forest anymore. You've got the forest around you. Mm. And it's like, okay, how do I help utilize that forest that's around me? So I'll also share, um, since part of this is about how, you know, don't know that all of your audience is women, but I'm assuming a lot of it is. Um, at the same time, I also have done a lot of, before I think it was certainly as, I'm going to use the word, um, it's not the word I want, before it was as not common, that's not the word, but before it was more frequent than it was, you know, I was doing personal development work 30 years ago, right? So I did workshops, you know, at, at different seminars, you know, just on a variety of different topics that would really help me understand, you know, who I was and what the awareness was, was that I wanted in life. And I'll say two things around that. One of the ways in which I've had this dialogue with myself, even now knowing that it's about how I relate to proximity to whiteness, but not knowing that literally 30 years ago, um, I woke up one day and I said, I've got to go on retreat. It has to be in New Mexico. And I wanted to be, I want to learn about indigenous spirituality. Mm. And I asked four people where I should go. Three people said the same place. Um, and so started me on this journey and I'm very much a novice and would not claim that it's a lived experience, but one that I've tried to learn from, uh, where I did a spiritual, I did both a spiritual retreat one week when I was in New Mexico. And then another week, uh, my sister knew a friend that hosted me and she took me to sweat lodges and to a women's indigenous group talking circle and just really sort of gave me exposure to that way of being and that way of life. And that has really, um, is certainly one of my foundational pillars. And I, at that, I can't now say it was a rebellion to proximity to whiteness, but it was. <laughs> now looking at it now, it's like, how else is there to be in the world that's not this typical standard? Yeah of what we perceive, what are other ways of being, thinking, understanding the world, understanding ways of respect, honoring culture, honoring the earth, you know, understanding that when we say the shoulders on who we stand, that it really is our ancestors. And that if we're, if we're attuned, that we can feel those ancestors and 
know that their spirits are with us. Um, and I'm still working on all that. I won't say that I, I get, I get that, but I know that some people do. So that piece, and then I just recon, it was like just the, the, the blessing that, that came on my birthday was last week. And, um, the other way that I sought out something that was different, uh, for three years, I did, um, the Aztec dancing. And again, I don't talk about this a lot. Um, but for three years, every week, once or twice a week, you know, I was there learning the danza and the steps and what it meant and the connection to the earth and knowing that these have been traditions and dances that have been done for centuries. And, you know, that that dance is a part of many, many cultures, right? But that dance isn't just dancing for the sake of dancing. Mm -hmm. That dancing, you're praying for the rain, for your crops. So you're, you're praying for, for water and you're praying for you know, all the different, you know, the dance is prayer even, right? It's that even that idea that dance is prayer. And, um, and so I was thinking, you know, I haven't talked to those folks in a long time. It's been a long time since I've done that. And I would see them every now and again. I was like, I, I don't know that I want to go do dance again, but I should think about how I might get connected to them again. And here I was walking along. I live very close to the lake Friday. I was walking them on the lake and I saw precisely the person I was thinking about and they were carrying the drum and they were coming to do an Aztec dance practice on the lake, on the sand. And it was a day after my birthday and I, and I said, do you want to join us? I said, well, I don't think I can say no. It's, <laughs> it's just too synchronistic in terms of how this is. Yep. And then it just felt like it was their son's birthday and my birthday had been the day before. So it was just, it just really felt like this beautiful blessing of, yeah, this is part of how my birthday is being celebrated and acknowledged this year as I take another trip around the sun. And that I had put out that intention, that prayer, if you will, and we could not have planned it. I was thinking, I, I, I'll have to call so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so to go find their phone number. And then, then there they show up literally in my bank. Wow. Oh, that, that was, again, that was something really powerful to hear. And it sounds like I, I can, I can hear it in your voice as you're talking about it, but you know, how did that make you feel? Like, you know, oh. the fact that, yeah, like it was, it was just your birthday. You have been wanting to reach out to this person to reconnect and all of a sudden there <laughs> at the lake. Well, just the simplicity of life, right? I mean, and, you know, I do, you know, whether we call it prayer, intentions, whatever we call it, right? Most faith traditions have something around that. And when you call for it, it's answered, right? So it just, I mean, I felt incredibly honored. I felt incredibly blessed. Um, but just know, yeah, okay, universe, God's listening because I asked and that's what, you know, they showed up, right? In ways I couldn't have planned for them to show up, right? So but, but the other piece I want to say about that is I think as who we are and as we're bifurcated or the duality or of what we navigate, right? One of the things that I always say is, I, I, you know, I, I really do feel it's a foundational important for us to understand our cultural roots. Whatever that means for us from whatever culture, tradition, country of origin we come from, because that's where we come from, right? And I think that so much of our chaos confusion, especially for young people, is it's all gotten lost and omitted in today's modern society, right? But 
we're carrying that DNA, right? We're carrying our ancestors and who we are as people of color and women of color. I don't know how this is going to sound, but for, but for Black people to survive slavery and for you to be a descendants of that, you've got to be strong. For most Latinas to have survived the genocide and the illness and the conquest of the conquistadores, you've got to be strong, yeah. right? And what I love about one of, one of my mentors, Juana Bordas, who's written this book called Salsa, Soul, and Spirit, Salsa, Latino, Soul, Native, Black, Spirit, Native Leadership, right? She talks about the wisdom of leadership that comes from all of our ancestral practices, right? It's like acknowledging and remembering that our communities and our cultures existed for millennia before they wound up here, right? Um, and that we carry that and we have that with us mm -hmm. and to survive what our communities have been through only, you know, it's regrettable, but it is primarily the strong who survive. So we have that strength, we have that DNA, we have those cultural traditions um, that are part of who we are. And I believe the more that we acknowledge, you know, and I don't talk about this a lot in public, right? Because, you know, I'm usually leading with the data, right? But the more that we acknowledge and understand that that's part of who we are in our, in our DNA and our memory, that gives us the foundation um, to still stand strong and to know that we're carriers of all that came before us. And I just, I just want to say, I think what you just said, it, it made me just uh, really kind of sit with thinking how my ancestors went through slavery and how, it, you know, I've said this probably time and time again, um, there was so much growing up in Mississippi that I just, I did not know about, about my own people. And I, I had to leave home actually and come here to Chicago where I really started to understand more about things that happened during slavery or things that happened not so long ago at the turn of the last century in the 50s, the 60s, and things that I never learned in my history classes when I was in school in Mississippi. It, it took me probably coming here to, uh, to, to graduate school and learning about, about the Great Migration. Yeah. I, I had never heard of this. I didn't, I, I, I had no idea what this was. And I was meeting so many different uh, people who say, oh, you know, I got family in Mississippi. Oh, I got a cousin that's down there in Arkansas or such and such. And I would hear them be like, oh, well, that's really a lot of people up here from Mississippi or they have ties to Mississippi. And then of course, I started to learn about the great migration. I was like, well, no wonder a lot of African-Americans on the South side and on the West side of Chicago have tides back to Mississippi. And Mississippi had the largest amount of African-Americans that actually left, left Mississippi and settled in Chicago. Right. And I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and so to kind of hear you talk about, you know, using that information and using that knowledge and what we learn to really connect with our ancestors is again, something that I am learning the process more and more because as I mentioned, mm -hmm. I, I didn't learn about these things until I was in my late twenties. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a little bit, you know, I was, I will say I had a little shame in that because I, 
had grown up all my life being black, a, a black woman, and these things that I never knew. And, you know, it's still, you know, like I see, you know, I've, I have begun to process those things, but it was a, it was a shame there. But, but I mean, you weren't taught that, right? And you right, it was never taught it. Right, I mean, even though it's prevalent as it was, you, you weren't taught that. I mean, the same thing for, you know, this history I shared about my own family, right? I mean, I am proud to say that I, my family didn't cross the border, the border crossed us, right. right? But what does that mean in terms of perseverance and how you survive and all of those things, right? That, I was never taught that in school. Thank God my mother and my father were able to teach me that because otherwise I would have gone around thinking the same way so many of our youth are now that we don't belong. But you know what? Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, California, right? Those are all Spanish names. Where do you think San Francisco and San Jose and Los Angeles come from, right? It's because we claim that territory first. And so, you know, now to be seen that we're the outsiders and we don't belong, when we were here centuries before, I mean, we taught the white men how to be cowboys, right? That all comes from knowledge that we taught them, right? And so, yeah, I don't usually go, you know, again, I'm about, most of my career has been about the policy change, right? But, but you know, for my personal self, I've had to learn these things. And it's something that I encourage every young person to learn because, that's our history, right? No one can take that away from us. They may, they may not acknowledge it, right? And appreciate it, right? But once you know that, no one can take that away from you. Mm -hmm. Know it and be proud. Right, exactly. And as I always say, you know, someone can call me whatever name they want to, right? Or the ways that we're often marginalized people. But if I believe them, then I'm giving them power over me. Mm -hmm. This is one of my biggest life lessons, right? Someone can call me wetbag, someone, you know, all the names that are out there, right? But if I take that in and believe it, then I'm saying they're right and I'm giving them power over me. And I'm like, uh-uh, nope, it's, I'm not gonna give away my power to anyone, okay. right? I know who I am, right? And you can, you can throw me those darts, those daggers. You can talk to me any way, about me any way you want, but that's your issue, it's not mine. You know, I read the title of a book once, what you think of me is none of my business, right? <laughs> what you think of me is none of my business because it has everything to do with you and nothing to do with that's you. And, and my favorite book, since I'm on this rant, is one of my favorite books that I really encourage a lot of people to read is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Reese. It's a very simple book, it comes from the Toltec wisdom, um, but it's like you don't take anything personally, right? You always do your best. I'm not going to remember all four of them right now, um, but it, you know, it really has really taught me. It's like that is a book that has taught me to stand in my power probably more than anything else because if I believe what every people says about me or if I believe what the former president said about my community, then I'm given a power. I'm not giving anybody that power unless I choose to give it to them, right? That's one of the biggest concerns I had with some of our youth and the violence that we're seeing in the streets today is you think someone insults you, you take it in as an insult and you feel you have to retaliate. If you take that in as an insult, you are giving that person power over you, right? That is one of the things that I have learned 
also from my the indigenous spirituality uh, that I've been exposed to, right? Is I don't have to take that in, right? I know who I am. I know who I am as a child of the creator. I know who I am as a child of God, right? And none of that relates to me and I don't have to take it in. And it's almost like you use, use what the negative things people say is kind of like uh, an armor. You use that and to help you be stronger because you know that's not how you identify. That's not your identity. It's not who you are. That's not who your ancestors are. And use that. I mean, for me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you and, you know, who I really am and how none of that fits with who I am but you're so right I think you know that 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 statement you said I believe you said it's a book what somebody thinks of you is none of your business right. and that's so true that's so true what somebody you know your your ideas of me I could I could really Matter. care less I could care less yes mm -hmm. what's that yes well, yeah no uh there's just so many things that I, I know don't so much. <laughs> uh, but I think when you were talking about like, you know, knowing our, our history and 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 where we, we come from and, and something that, you know, as uh as you know, a child of parents that migrated to this country in, in the late 70s, you know, my that's where my American history, you know, familiar started for me. But, you know, now that I'm older and I've started asking more questions, you know, my mom's like, oh, no, you know, your, your great grandfather would come and, and, and work here, you know, as a farm worker. And I was like, where, where, where was this history? Like, what, what, what is all this? And, and understanding that there's, there's so much that, um, whether it was my family or, 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 you know, Mexicans have done for this country and, and it's not part that is not taught in our in any history you have to wait to college so maybe you can take some you know u.s some mexican history kind of course or something and, and under, start maybe understanding but even the lens where that is taught from is not really uh a full kind of you know latino lens is always going to come from a very whitewashed probably version of it um but i think it's just so important and i think uh you know i always talk about how like now is when I start learning more now where I'll, I'll do my research and I'll go through that learning journey to, to kind of understand. And I'm the one now having the conversations with my siblings and they're like, oh, here you go, telling us again, or like my parents and like, like, because their version of history is so different from like, I'm reading, I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it happened. Like, here's how it is. Like, this is what really happened and, and all these things. But it's just so important to know that because you know, those are things that will help, that have helped me really just be like, okay, this is, this is part of who I am, part of my history, you know, my family was part of this portion of it, um, and you can stand on that, and, you know, and, and, you know, and, and I look at it sort of on my, you know, you know, on my faith, and that faith journey, how that kind of coincides with even our our historical history here and and understanding that I think it's just it's so powerful to you know to hear from from you and from others to just that that understanding and to know that you know there are others that are that are part of this journey and trying to understand and 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 write a different story and be like that's 
who society and who, you know, a lot of people in this country have tried to paint us as, that's, that's you, like, that's not on me, like, go ahead and do whatever you want, but we know who we are. Yeah. So I always say, you know, some of my life lessons, you know, it's like, you've got to know who you are. And I, I usually start with your cultural identity, you know, but these days it could be the youth identity culture, right? The hip hop culture, the whatever, in terms of who your identity is. Part of that knowing who you are is understanding your values. And I always say that's knowing who you are when no one is looking. Mm -hmm. What do you value? What's important to you? How do you make a decision when nobody is looking, right? Are those values of trust? Are they values of faith? Are they values of, you know, being smart, right? But, what, you know, integrity, right? What, what are those values, right? Um, I always say, and what I would say to you both, as I think you are doing, you're stepping up to leadership. And I think everybody has that leadership potential. Everybody, because my definition of leadership is you, you have the opportunity to influence those around you whether it's on a big stage or on a small stage, you know, as you were sharing, influencing your family, Seth, right? I'm sure you're, you know, if you have nieces and nephews, right? Or all those around you, right? Leadership is how do you help influence them and help them understand, but also how do you help bring them along? How do you extend a hand, right? How do you read the college essay of someone, you know, that's gonna applying for college or help someone figure out their FAFSA form, right? So leadership is about how you're helping to bring the community, even if you're only doing it with one person, right? So you know who you are, you step up to leadership. And if we all stepped up to leadership, then there'd be so, you know, there'd be so much that's happening that we can do to bring people along, along with us. And then you've got to take time, you know, you shared you're both introverts. I am an extrovert, but I'm close to the introvert line because you need to take that time to reflect. You need to make, take that time to nurture your spirit. You've got to take time, whatever that is, whether it's walking on the lake, meditation, prayer, you know, belonging to a faith community, riding your bike, you know, making sure you're getting, whatever that is, right? Finding that ways to nurture those, your spirit, because that's when, that's when what's, your creative mind, or I believe we get messages um, about how we should be and do in the world, even if it's just going within and listening to the quiet within us in terms of what it reveals, right? So understanding our cultural identity and our values, stepping up to leadership, um, but then also making that time to nurture your spirit, whatever that looks like, I think are so important. And I'm gonna out myself here so that's something I usually talk about in public, right? But for me, that shift of identity shifted when my first identity went, you know, for most, a lot of my life, my first identity was being Latina, being Chicana, who I was in my, in terms of my racial and my ethnic identity. But when I, I grew up Catholic and did not, Catholicism and me did not go together. So when you reject the religion that you were born into, you think, what else is there? You know, is there, an, is, especially when you grow up Catholic, you have no idea that there are other faith traditions and other religions, right? And not that I'm 
connected to any particular faith tradition right now, but it was a shift from my first identity, not being a woman, which it had been, not being a Latina, which it had been, but I, I heard the phrase, I am a spiritual being having a human experience. The first time I heard that, it just sort of knocked me over the head. I am a spiritual being having a human experience. Mm. And so when I was able to shift my awareness and my consciousness to say, that's, that's it. My first identity is that I know I'm part of the divine. I know that I'm a spiritual being, whatever my, not religious practice, but whatever my faith practice is, right? I am a spiritual being, right? Then everything else shifted around me. Now, I don't remember that all the time every day, right? But when I have to go to and remember that, then, then how I show up is how people respond to me, right? I have that in my, I have that seared in my soul. I have that seared in my consciousness. I don't have to say it out loud, right? But it is one of the reasons I believe that people respond to me the way that they do. I'm going to use that, Sylvia. I love that. I'm a spiritual being in a, in a, you said I'm a spiritual being in a human body? Yeah, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. Having a human experience. I'm yeah. going to use that. I We're having that. this human experience because of whatever lessons we need to learn or we believe in past lives or not, whatever reasons we need to know. But every faith tradition, right? And this is where I always argue with people that say that they're, um, whatever the word is that they believe in no God. I was like, every faith tradition, right? Whether it's Buddhism, Sufism, you know, the ancient Aztecs and the Mayans, Protestants, um, the M Muslims, Catholics, right? Every faith tradition believes in a divine being, right? And that we're emanations of whatever we think that higher power is. I don't know a faith tradition that doesn't say that in some form or fashion, right? Right. Um, so to me, when I realized that, I was like, oh, I guess I can't, well, I never really thought I was an atheist, but like, that's not going to work for me because right. it's like every, you know, and like, how am I but to know better than the millennia of all these faith traditions from all over the planet that at their core really are so similar. I mean, their expressions of it can be very different, you know, but some of those principles that, um, that are common to all of them really are about you know, we're, we're here to do our work, we're here to learn our lessons, right? But we're here as expressions of the divine. Wow. Wow. Sylvia, thank you so much again for coming on here and speaking with us, having a conversation with us. I'm excited uh, for the viewers to watch this, I'm excited for people to listen to this, and just want to thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been a uh, it's been great for me. I, I know this has really been just kind of a sitting back and listening to you. I, you know, I feel like I didn't, I didn't want to say too much. I just, I really wanted to listen to you uh, and your stories and your advice and just everything that you had to say. So I will uh, turn it over to Lisette to give us a wrap up and uh, anything Sylvia would like to add as well as we. Well, I'll just have a, like, the last word. I'll just say thank you for the opportunity because um, I don't often get to talk about this kind of stuff out loud, right. and now I've sort of outed myself. And, and <laughs> um, uh, you know, it took a little bit of a, you know, I, I do consider myself a courageous person, but it still took a little bit of courage, I'll just share that, right, to 
to share in the way that I've shared today. Um, but if it inspires one person, then I, I'm blessed to be able to offer it as a gift. Thank you so much again, Sylvia. I think, um, and then knowing you, I remember when I first met you, I was like, that's a, that's a, that's a woman that has something to say, but yeah, I know you were always sort of, uh, in the back watching us during the, the leadership academy. And, and when you, would, when you would share, I think we all listened. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of people that when they listen to this will be inspired. I know I have been inspired. I, you know, I think my, uh, I've been fed today from, from the words that you've, sh you've shared and, and the wisdom and your experiences. I thank you for that. And uh, I hope that those that have been listening and, and watching uh, have also been inspired or, or something just kind of pulled you uh, into a direction, uh, whether it was something that, that made you uh, happy, upset, angry, you know, you just did not agree with it. You know, we're, we're here to, to have that conversation with you. So please share your, your thoughts and your comments below. Uh, and again, we thank you. We will continue having more conversations with other women that you'll see uh, as well. But we appreciate uh, this time uh, that we had with, with Sylvia. Uh, and we definitely look forward to sharing more with, with our listeners and our viewers. So please keep an eye out uh, as, as more conversations uh, are to come. So thank you everyone and, and have a, a great day, evening, weekend, whenever you're watching this. Uh, and I hope you, I hope we see you again, or we get to see you or you get to hear us again and see us again. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Peace everybody.